production of Pioneer Utility Resources. Story Connect, helping communicators discover ideas to shape their stories and connect with their customers. What can you do to be prepared for a crisis? That's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Story Connect Podcast. My name is Andy Johns, your host with Pioneer, and I'm joined on this episode by Natalie Strickland, who is the VP of Communications and Marketing with TVPPA, the Tennessee Valley Public Power uh, Association. Natalie, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Sure. Now, I understand this is your, your first podcast, so we, we appreciate you um, uh, hopping on here and, uh, and doing that. This, this is based off of a, um, a presentation that, that Natalie did for TVPPA um, in November, uh, where she talked about crisis communication. And, and while we've, we've done episodes on, on crisis communications before, number one, you can never uh, talk about it enough. But number two, I think Natalie has some, some pretty good, interesting takes on it. Um, and, and some kind of a, a different way about thinking about some of it. Um, so I wanted to, want to just go ahead and, and dive in, uh, Natalie, cause one of those, uh, the very first thing in your presentation, you talked about, uh, your first step was, was recognizing the patterns, which I thought was a, a pretty good, um, a pretty good idea. And something I did, I hadn't heard a lot of folks talk about that. What do you mean when you talk about recognizing the patterns when it comes to crisis communications? It means what are the events that are most likely to cause stress or fear or anxiety for the people you serve? And, and that can be, um, it can be customers, it can be members, it can be your staff. Um, but what are the things that are most likely to cause them stress? Um, they might be accidents, um, contact or otherwise. They might be natural disasters or weather events. Um, they might be financial wrongdoing, widespread illness. Um, I mean, who knew that that we would truly have a pandemic and the chaos that would create, right? Um, right? So they're the kind of things that when they're handled well, they can be classified more as a challenge, um, but without knowing how to intervene effectively. And, and that's really what we're here to talk about today. They can truly become a crisis. Sure, and some of those are some of those are cyclical. You know, we know that that ice storms pretty much only happen one time a year. Um, that the you know they're they the tornado season, although that that can be a little less regular. Uh, of course, some parts of the country there are wildfires or hurricanes. Thankfully, we don't have a lot of that here in the Tennessee Valley. But some of that's cyclical. Um, some of it's not. So I guess when you're recognizing those patterns and you're kind of identifying some of those, uh, what's what's the next step? Yeah, so operational readiness, that's that's a big part of um, our industry, right? So on blue sky days, um, utilities are focused on uh, the response plans, longstanding plans, and they're updating them and dusting them off. And if that hasn't happened, um, you know, in, in your organization in a while now, is a really good time to get started on that. Um, but the other piece of it really is mental readiness, um, because that's the second part of the equation, really having um, the ability to have calm under stress, um, to have things not only under control, but to demonstrate humility um, while you have those things under control is um, really important. And so I always recommend studying um, crises as they're unfolding, I mean, when when news is happening, um, you can get a good sense of what to follow, um, and and getting a knowledge base um, that'll help you make smart decisions uh, when a crisis occurs in your world. 
know, part of that, the smart decision um, making, and this is something that folks who have been listening to the podcast for a long time know that it's something that I, um, I don't know if it's a dead horse that I beat a lot, but it's certainly something um, that, that is, is near and dear to me and, and important uh, and probably preaching in the choir, but having the communicator at the decision-making table, um, both I would imagine uh, beforehand and during the crisis, uh, that's uh, such a key spot. It often gets overlooked, uh, but that's something that you pointed out in, in the presentation as well that I thought was important to highlight. Right. It's important because when when trust is high, um, consumer loyalty is high and the demand for new products and services increases. Um, and that's not just important for organizations that are adding new services, um, but for those who are looking to strengthen customer relationships and business relationships, the value in the community, those types of things. But it also is important because um, internally, when trust is high, morale is high, and productivity is high. And so you really need someone who is focused on those things, uh, while other leaders are focused on um, you know, the operational response. There's someone who is focused um, on really knowing how to build um, and maintain trust for those who matter most to us. That's perfect. And I know, like you said, this is your first podcast, but that's a perfect segue uh, right into the next thing I was going to ask you about. Which, the quote that, that really stood out for me from your presentation, um, a crisis is not the bad thing that happened. It's the moment of trust lost. And that was kind of a cool perspective that I hadn't heard um, a lot when it comes to crisis communication. So uh, you got into a little bit there, but, but tell me more about that idea that a crisis is not the bad thing that happened. It's the moment of trust lost. Let's unpack that. Yeah. So when something bad happens, people are looking to us for assurance um, that we have the ability to control the crisis from the earliest moments that it's occurring. Um, and that's why, you know, having good, strong decision-making criteria and, and really following um, events that are happening and knowing um, how, how folks are handling things well um, or how they could do them better and really um, thinking through that within your own organization. Um, a crisis really isn't the bad thing that happened, but the moment that trust is on the line and that we have the ability to make decisions. If we make great decisions, then we can enhance trust. And then when we don't, um, you know, trust is much harder to recover than it is to keep it. Um, that is true. And I think that's a really important point. Um, trust is really three things, three related things. It's, it's the promises fulfilled, the, the we'll be there for you in a crisis, mm -hmm. right? Um, the expectations that are met. So that might be a combination of what are you legally required to do? What does society expect us to do? Um, and what do our customers or our members expect us to do? Um, and then the values lived. So trust is a natural outcome um, of all of those things together. So when an event occurs, um, the question really isn't what should we do or what should we say? The question really should be what would reasonable people expect a responsible organization to do in this situation? And that one question takes the focus off of us and onto the um, 
the stakeholder audiences that are important to us and allows us to focus on what we need to do to maintain trust with them. Excellent. That's well said. I, I will say you mentioned reasonable people. Uh, those aren't always going to be the ones in the social media feed asking you questions, but uh, you know, um, there are, uh, I think that's a great, a great guideline there is what would reasonable people expect. Don't necessarily, um, uh, you know, folks online that they get unreasonable. It doesn't mean you have to um, necessarily cater to, to everything there, but um, I, I did want to talk about uh, part of the way that you can set those expectations um, and, and you call it the first mover advantage. Um, let's talk a little bit about that because moving quickly uh, and part of the reason that, that you prepare and that you, you think through these things, you have a plan is so you can move quickly when, when something comes up because that really helps you kind of define the situation, right? Right. So, um, you know, the question of when to ask is always a hard one to answer. And the first mover is typically the one that controls the uh, way folks interpret the event. And that's really powerful. That's important. Um, and yeah, and that's one of the reasons for being both operationally and mentally prepared is so that you're ready to seize that opportunity when you know um, it's right and you're doing it before the media the public, your critics, or others take the opportunity to define you. I think we all know that transparency is really um, critical, but um, at the same time, uh, it's important to, to move expeditiously, but also um, very thoughtfully. That's good. One of the ways to move thoughtfully, you talked about the three steps of care. And, and I like that. I thought that was a, a good approach. So um, the ones that you had outlined, the, the bullet points, three steps of care. You care, you still care, and you care as long as the expectations exist. So uh, un unpack that for us a little bit, those three. Sure. So um, I guess really a foundational strategy um, is, is timeliness in demonstrating that you care doing it from the very first moment, um, your very first message um, should be a message of caring. And then demonstrating that you're caring as long as that crisis is taking place and sometimes even beyond that. Um, that's part of the burden of leadership uh, through a crisis is that you're caring as long as your stakeholders expect you to care. Um, one great example of this um, was the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, I don't know, uh, 10 years, a dozen years ago, um, mm -hmm. when the crisis lasted so much longer than anyone expected and the environmental impact uh, was much greater than anyone expected, including um, BP and um, envir environmental um, responders and the, the folks who live down there. Um, so the need to demonstrate care um, for a lengthy period of time may exist after a crisis, depending on what happens. And so we need to demonstrate that we care from the earliest moments, that we still care as long as it's happening, and that we also care as long as our stakeholders want us to, to care about what's happening. That's, a, that's an excellent point. So last, go ahead. I was just going to add that you lose trust um, if you don't care as long as the stakeholders want you to care about an event. And 
the whole point here um, in our discussion is that trust is the foundation of a response in a crisis. Right. It all goes back to that trust, um, for sure. Um, one of the things that, that you hear um, uh, any pri- any crisis planning, uh, crisis communications planning, um, is developing some, some standby statements, you call them, um, you know, working on some things ahead of time, uh, so you're not scrambling, whether it's press release or whatever it is, um, completely flat-footed, to go ahead and have some of that uh, developed. Obviously, it's impossible to plan for every possible thing that could go weird. Um, but what are what are some ways that, that you, you guide people or that you would suggest for folks to kind of get some of those standby statements started? And and how do you know what what kind of to have on standby and, and what, you know, what's too far-fetched? Or what advice kind of you give for folks when they're working on um, having some of those statements ready to go? Sure. So... Let's talk uh, about when to respond, um, and and that helps us build that standby statement. Um, There's really four great questions to ask um, to give you some decision-making criteria on when to speak or when to make a statement. Um, The first one is, will, will those who matter most expect us to do or say something? The second one is, when will silence be seen as indifference or harm um, or an affirmation of guilt? Mm -hmm. The third one is, are others already shaping perceptions of those who matter most to us? And the fourth is, if we wait, will we lose the ability to influence the outcome? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, um, then it's important to respond as effectively as one can in that moment and then provide more information later. Um, because, you know, trust is built on commitments made and fulfilled. Um, and therefore, if you don't have the amount of information you need to be fully transparent from the get-go, you can still have um, a great solid standby statement and uh, follow that up uh, with a promise for more information at a future point in time. Sure, so, I think those your. I think those criteria are, are great. Uh, sorry, go ahead. You were going to say something else. I was just going uh, to address your initial question more directly, and that is um, that a well-structured standby statement um, involves acknowledging the event, so expressing awareness of the event or the issue. Um, then expressing empathy related to the victims and sometimes potential victims. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I get into that caring you talked about earlier. Right. Um, and then expressing that the what the organization cares about. So um, for so many who are listening to this, it might be a message of our first concern is with the safety of our employees and our customers. Um, then you want to actually address uh, how you are handling the crisis and give the specific steps you've taken so far. And then finally, you outline the next steps for the business and the stakeholders. And that can be substantive at the time, or it can be a promise to give an update at another point in time. All important elements, uh, for sure. Well, Nathalie, we've been through a lot already to, uh, to talk through it all. Um, but what advice, kind of to wrap up here, what advice would you have for somebody um, 
who is, you know, a little overwhelmed. Maybe they're new to their job. Maybe they're not, but they're, they're trying to say, okay, we need to be prepared for some of the stuff that comes up, but they're, they're, they're starting kind of from, from square one. What advice would you have for somebody who wants to get better at preparing for a crisis uh, and prepping crisis communications, but is just getting started? Yeah. So I think going back to the basics of, um, does your organization have an operational readiness plan? If you aren't certain of it, sit down with company leaders and get um, a strong understanding of what exists and perhaps be part of developing something if it doesn't already exist. Also taking a a strong look at um, crises that have happened over time. There's some really amazing case studies that can just be found by Googling online Um, That BP oil spill uh, has a lot of information that you can find about what they um, did and didn't handle well and the public perception that came from that. The car industry, the automotive industry also has some really great examples. There was a time period that Toyota had a sticky pedal issue that was causing safety concerns in cars. Um, That's a great case study to look into as well. So I always like to look at... um, what other companies have done um, really well uh, and, and what they haven't done so well uh, to really get a sense of how to create uh, a great response within your own organization. Absolutely. No reason to invent the wheel, reinvent the wheel when uh, other folks have already done it. So, um, and, really going, and really going back to um, that initial question um, in your response to anything of what would a reasonable person uh, or reasonable people expect a responsible organization to do in this situation. Um, That's really the basis of providing a solid crisis response and managing through a crisis. Absolutely. Uh, She is Nathalie Strickland, the VP of Communications and Marketing uh, over at TVPPA. TVPPA has all sorts of great resources for folks in the Tennessee Valley. They've got a toolkit that's out. They've got all kinds of training scheduled throughout the year. Nathalie, y'all are y'all are busy folks. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to join us. Oh, it's an honor to be here today. Thank you so much. I am Andy Johns, your host with Pioneer, and until we talk again, keep telling your story. Story Connect is produced by Pioneer Utility Resources, a communications cooperative that is built to share your story. Story Connect is engineered by Lucas Smith of Lucky Sound Studio.